You are listening to the QSR Web Podcast. Hello again, and welcome to the QSR Web Podcast, Waning Days of 2019 edition. I'm your host, QSR Web Editor, Shelley Whitehead, and I'm about to mention a term some restaurateurs listening may now consider an industry expletive of sorts because... Today, we're delving into those devilish restaurant trends that just about everyone involved in this industry loves to hate. And to do that, one of our favorite trend-setting slash predicting guests is in the house in the form of Culinary Tides president, Susie Badaracco. She's the titan of trends, and she and I will be back in just a minute to talk about them. The Interactive Customer Experience Association's mission is to connect B2C brands to technology that elevates the customer experience. Brands have access to resources, project help, news and insights based around boosting their customer experience. Suppliers gain network opportunities to reach these brands and help them provide solutions to elevate their customer experience. Join today at ICXA.org. Well, you kind of knew this show was coming since it's nearing the end of 2019 and it's almost written in blood that all restaurant websites shall do an end of year trends report. The QSR web podcast was certainly not going to be an outlier on this one, but we do hope to approach the topic a little differently than just restaurant trends per se this year. After all, the nouveau truffle of the moment liquor mixer so madly sought by shall we say, slower restaurant service models are really not possible within the speedier confines of the QSR. And that's what we really want to focus on today. Thanks to the insights of our guest, Culinary Tides President, Susie Badaracco. And welcome, Susie. Thank you. Great to be here. Oh, I'm delighted uh, to have you here. So let's dive right in. And really, as a food trend predictor and watcher, I'm wondering how you'd say true QSRs, the McDonald's and Arby's of the world, are doing as far as being innovative about their menus. Uh, Are they leading, following, just not participating? It depends on the personality of which one we're talking about. So McDonald's, for example, they've made it clear they absolutely never want to start a trend. What they want to do is they want to interpret trends for the masses. Um, Arby's definitely walks to its own little drummer as an example, which I absolutely love about them. So it's, it's not really about leading a trend or following a trend. What, what they want to do is they want to be doing it better than the next guy. Gotcha. So how do you do that in QSR dumb? <laughs> um, that is a very broad question. Yes. Uh, it, I, I mean, it, I specialize it, in them, Susie. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Um, I don't have to answer them, by the way. So. I but. mean, how do they do it? They, what they have to do is they have to do their homework. Right? They have to understand before they enter a trend, if you want to do a trend successfully, and if it's QSR or anybody else, to do a trend successfully, you have to know who the parents are of the trend. Trends have parents, weird to think about. You have to know how it was born. There's five main birth patterns. 
So how did the thing get born? Tell us a little bit more about that. When you say parents and how it was born. So, uh, for instance, the whole grain trend has a wildly different birth pattern than iced coffee has. Two different, totally two different trends. Um, Some are born out of a morph. So a morph is when there's a cousin to a trend that's born who steals the spotlight. So let's say quinoa is the grain of the day. And then next year you don't hear anything about quinoa and you hear st- you start hearing about some other global grain. That's mm-hmm. a morph pattern, meaning a cousin to quinoa came in like Fonio or Faro or whatever the grain is, came in, it stole the spotlight. So it's called a morph. So that's how it, that trend shifted. Um, iced coffee is a regional trend from 40 years ago in New York City. So its birth pattern has to do with uh, historical ties to a region. So it has a wildly different birth pattern and different parents. Once you know the parents and how it was born, whether it was leapt out of a different category, whether maybe travel industry birthed it into food industry, which is called um, a courier birth, you can't know how to navigate a trend basically if you don't know where it came from. It's kind of the bottom line. If you don't know where it came from, you're not going to know how to navigate it because you're not going to know how long it is going to last. You're not going to know its personality. You're not going to see if it changes direction. Um, so that's really the upfront key of how to introduce a trend or even participate in a trend um, successfully. That's really cool. So kind of what QSRs want to do then is almost try to morph on a trend. At least the QSRs like McDonald's. Um, causing a morph would be causing a whole new birth. So it's not that they want to morph. What they want to do is they want to be able to understand why a trend even exists. If you don't understand why it exists, then how are you going to navigate it? And how are you going to enter it? You're not going to know how. You're going to guess is what you're going to do to enter the trend. Yeah. So like you could hear about iced coffee. Great, we're going to do iced coffee. You have no idea how long that's going to last. You don't know who's going to be drinking iced coffee. Do you know what I mean? So you can enter it blindly, um, but at, at some point you're, you're going to have to figure out how are you navigating something that you don't know what it's doing or why it's doing it. Okay. So so they need to be educated on, on, on first strategizing around why does it exist and, and do, does it even fit our personality? Should we even go into it? I see. Okay, to make sure there's a hard connection you can make. Yeah, I mean, so like Arby's was brilliant in not entering plant-based proteins, right? Arby's came straight out and said, you know what, it doesn't fit our personality. I'm like, that totally makes sense. It Just because it's a wildly, you know, it's a large trend does not mean it fits your personality and you should enter it. Yeah, I think a lot of, we ran a, a poll question on our newsletter uh, maybe three weeks ago, saying, which trend are you really sick of? And plant-based <laughs> right in at the top, you know. Oh, that's even so interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's so interesting. Oh, my gosh. So, so, well, listen, a lot of what you do as far as trend spotting, trend predicting, really seems to be more geared toward fast, casual, casual, fine dining concepts that can and do charge higher prices than the typical three to eight dollar QSR center the plate offerings. 
So I'm wondering, does having a more value-oriented approach to the menu really keep QSRs from playing the game of menu innovation much, or is there a way they can play it within those confines? Yeah, so first of all, I totally don't agree that what a lot of trend spotting has to do with fast casuals and above. I, I absolutely don't agree with that. Um, <laughs> what, it, what it is is um, – because we also forecast for like commodity boards, governments um, worldwide. We track retail. We work for ingredient houses. So QSR may show a different shadow of the same trend, but it's still the same trend. She just has a different party dress that she wears for QSR versus what she's wearing for fast casual. So like for instance, breakfast burritos. Okay, so breakfast burritos, yes, you can go to a fabulous fast casual and they will make it in front of you step by step by step. You know, you're going down the line, adding all your fabulous ingredients. But McDonald's can have a breakfast burrito too, right? It's the same trend, a breakfast burrito. Um, Same with whole grains. You could still have whole grains um, in a side dish or in the bun. Um, All of them can have iced coffee. So you can have kind of a higher end iced coffee, let's say in casual or fine dining, but McDonald's can also have iced coffee. It's the same trend. It's, it's just the party dress is a little bit different. Which one, you know, how is she dressed? Is she dressed up super fancy or is she dressed up a little bit simpler? So what it needs to be for each company, it needs to be a match for that corporate personality and and the party dress that you put on the little iced coffee or whatever it is, um, it has to be recognizable by that customer for that. It has to be appropriate, right? So when the customer comes in, they recognize, oh, yeah, that little iced coffee has the party dress I like to wear too when I'm at McDonald's. It has to – so it has to communicate well. It's all the same trend. So um, – the value-oriented part, like let's say you're talking about dollar menus, is actually kind of a fabulous trick because you can put LTOs on it to test it on the dollar menu or you know one of the little value menus. Um, but you can also get a trend out there a whole lot quicker because usually when it's on those like dollar menus, it's a simpler version, takes less training in-house for staff. You can get an item out there a whole lot quicker. You can also pull, pull it off quicker, like from the menu. You can take it off the menu if you wanted to. So like all-day breakfast is a trend. Any of the QSRs can do that. Any of the fast casuals can do that kind of a trend. Same with snacking. Very easy to add snacks to any of these menus. Um, whole grains could be added. Regional, region, the trend of regionalism, right? Arby's is doing a, um, a Greek hero, which is a very regional right, item. Um, KFC has brought back their little Nashville hot chicken, right? That's a very regional deep South item. So they, 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 they're not limited. It doesn't matter that they're QSR. It's just the trend looks a little bit, it's a shadow of it. It's not maybe the spruced up version. It might be a little bit of a simpler version, but it's all, all has to do with what party dress do you put on or can it communicate to those consumers coming into that establishment? Okay. So, would you be able to give us some examples of fast food brands that really kind of break ground regularly with their menu items as far as innovation is concerned? And, and then maybe tell us a little bit about how that pays off for them. I'm thinking a little bit about, it, it seems like Taco Bell does this a lot. Yeah, Taco Bell does. And they, they do a really good job with actually 
creating menu items from sources they already have in-house, right? They might use their beans in a new application or um, they might use the taco shells in a new application. Do you know what I mean? So when they do it, they're not reinventing the wheel every time. They are using all the ingredients they already have on hand to make to make it into something a little bit different. That's kind of the brilliance behind what they do. Um, and they and just the introduced th- a fried chicken taco, which I think is, you know, with everybody jumping in chicken. Yeah, yeah, and and it's funny because you don't fried chicken doesn't go in tacos traditionally, right? So they're <laughs> they're kind of banking on putting in a, 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 a an item where it doesn't it doesn't normally show up. So there's there's a huge risk in doing that because you're putting you're put you're taking a trend completely out of context. Like fried chicken does not you don't find that in a taco in Mexico, right? So that's a risk. That's a so we'll you know we'll see if that pays off if consumers think that's a good idea or not but that's more of like a fusion where they're taking two totally different things that don't go together and they're banking on it going together yeah um, so th- that is a risk but and Taco Bell likes to take risks so that you know would kind of fit their personality and I'm sure they have a strategy for if that doesn't catch on then sure they have an exit strategy around that you know it makes more sense that kfc did it right kfc going with nashville hot chicken and hot chicken wings that makes sense their customer base like if you're going out for for fried chicken are you more likely to go to a kfc are you more likely to try and go to a taco bell probably more likely to go to kfc or popeyes right sure yeah we don't know what taco bell consumers are going to do with that idea um but that is a company that is a risk taker arby's comes again and bring them up again um they do meat and they do it very well they they come out with a lot of innovative products like their hero line in the sandwiches um but it still very much makes sense hero is a sandwich and it is greek and it is meat-based that is what arby's does that's why it's what they do makes so much sense um and they execute it well uh, McDonald's, for example, is not a huge risk taker, so when, which is fine. And so when they come out with something, um, you know, they do a whole lot of research before they even enter into like a new idea and they want to make sure the trend is like long-lived, whereas other brands kind of hop in and out, you know, are a little bit more risk-taking. Like Wendy's right now is just has been going through months of work coming out with breakfast. Yeah. Um, they kind of tried it once. They pulled it off. Now they're trying it a second time, um, but they want to get it right, right? So Wendy's is a very thoughtful brand that um, if something doesn't work, they go back and say, was it us or was it, you know, did we just not execute it right or was this really a trend that wasn't good for us? You know, and they'll go back and that's why they're coming out with breakfast a second time because it is a good trend. They just had executed differently um, than the first time they had tried it. Yeah, they they really have determination on that end of things. <laughs> yeah, and they'll, the, I'm, I trust they will figure it out because they um, they are another one that they, they are quite thoughtful before they come out with something. Well, now for QSRs, I mean, we've been talking about center of the plate. Is that center of attention for menu innovation, or do you see the 
some real potential in other areas of the menu, like sides and desserts and stocks and even drinks. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of potential. Like, um, you know, some of the brands are very smart to go forward with, like iced coffee, for example, um, and the beverage. So now instead of going to a, you know, more of a coffee house, you could get your breakfast with your iced coffee all in one location, right? So things like that can be really drivers. Like um, if you specialize in a little hand apple pie, that, that consumer knows I have to go to this brand to get my little apple pie. Yeah. Or, you know, KFC is known for their mashed potatoes. I, if I want mashed potatoes, I'm going to go to KFC. That's where I'm going to go. So there is a great potential for sides, desserts, and beverages, etc. Um, the question is really corporately. The question is really, how is the company treating them? Are you treating those like the favorite child where you are promoting them? You are you know, offering them in combination with something else? Um, or are, are they kind of the wallflower? They're fabulous, but you don't, you don't pay any attention to it. They're the wallflower. So it's really up to how the corporation sees the sides, the desserts, snacks, and beverages because um, they can easily be rock stars. They could drive like a, a, the, the buy, the purchase. They could complete, yeah, like I said, if you have that mashed potato or that little hand pie or whatever it is, that can back into them buying the full meal to yeah. get that side or that dessert or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's really, that's why I say it's really more about how are you treating them? Is it the favorite child or, or are you ignoring it? It's just a little wallflower sitting there. Nobody's really paying attention to, but it's fabulous. In the realm of uh, potentials and sides and beverages, what, what's, what do you really think has super potential for QSRs in the year ahead? I think one thing all of them potentially have in common, one type of a trend that sides, desserts, snacks, et cetera, have in common, is it would be smart to make sure they are tied to either a region or a time in history. Um, for instance, if let's say the side dish is, I'm just making this up, let's say the side dish is, you know, black beans, whatever the side is. I would I would tie it to a part of the world. I would say it's Peruvian, or I would make sure it's a part of Mexico, or you know maybe it is coming. It's a cold salad, so it's coming from Italy. Same with desserts. Desserts cannot just be chocolate cream pie. The dessert needs to be. It's coming from you know it's Mexican chocolate, or it's coming from New England. As the tail end, you have to tell a story behind the items. If if this, there is no story behind any of these items, then it, it has a greater likelihood it's just going to fall flat. There will be no driver to cause the consumer to buy it. It has to be interesting. It has to come it has with to its have own a story. Yeah, yeah, it has to have a story. So that's why you either tie it to a region of the country or region of the world where that recipe came from, or um, you tie it to a time in history. That's so, for neat. instance, so give me an for, example of that. Yeah, so like, for instance, um, in the Deep South, I'll just make this one up. In the Deep South, you've got stacked pies, you've got vinegar pies as desserts. Those are pies that came out of either wartime eras um, or Depression-era pies. They are tied to a time in history. Um, that's why 
I know some of these places, obviously, they don't, a lot of them don't serve alcohol. Some of them do. But that's why all the retro cocktails are back from the 50s and the 60s. The brown spirits like whiskey is back. They are all tied to a time in history, a comforting part of history. Um, that, you know, we got through that part. We can get through all our troubles now. So a time in history can also be, it could be, you know, some crazy marshmallow thing coming out of the 70s if that was appropriate. But if you can't tie it to a time in space, like a location, a regional location, tie it to a time in history. But that's why, quote, retro desserts are coming back. They're not necessarily tied to a location. They're tied to a time. That's really interesting, and it kind of makes sure the wheels of your imagination turn quickly. Um, if you could give a couple of suggestions to QSR leaders about menu innovation as they move into the next year and as it relates to food trends, what okay. would they be? So <laughs> the three general ones I always love to give are um, – when you're looking at any of the food trends coming up, know the birth and life cycle of that trend prior to deciding to enter it so you can foretell how to navigate it. Um, number two, can I would stop be you there? Sure. Give me an example. Like you were talking about, iced coffee came from New York 40 years ago, right? Yeah. So, why does knowing that help me design something that's a spin off? or some way related to iced coffee now for my QSR? So if you are, if you know the birth and the life cycle of a trend, you know how long this thing is going to last. Um, you can then plan strategically how are you going to enter the trend and how are you going to navigate it. So I'll give you like a diet trend as, a, as an example. So uh, years ago we had the Atkins diet, right? Everybody on their and their brother was going into the Atkins diet. It literally died in a year, in and out, up and yeah. down, done. Companies lost their shirts over. The, even Atkins himself declared bankruptcy over the whole thing, and that's the company that started the trend. So picture entering a trend like that, or even like the unicorn trend. Like you know, so there was like unicorn trend where everybody was doing silly beverages and yes. desserts. That that was done in less than a year. So if you're looking for a trend and you don't know that thing is going to be killed in six months and you enter it and that, that could completely ruin your strategy around it. You could lose a lot of money, not understanding that that is a short lived trend. It's going to be yeah. dead in six months or a year. That's why you have to, iced coffee is not going anywhere. So that is a long lived trend that has a lot of girlfriends because trends can have girlfriends, more girlfriends of other trends it has, the longer it's going to live. Um, unicorn has no friends. It is high sugar, it is artificial colors, it's high calorie, it's, it's fun, but it's against every other health trend consumers want. That's why it doesn't last very long. It's fun, flirty, and it's dead in about six months or a year. So that's why you have to know where did this thing come from, how long is its life cycle. Otherwise, you, you won't know which ones to enter and which ones no. You will just be shooting a dart at a blank wall. I see. So, so I interrupted you. You had two more things on your list. Oh, yeah. So the other one is I always say neither love nor hate a trend because emotions will fog a trend's true pattern and you may be blindsided when it shifts and it will always shift. Mm. So don't fall in love with something just because you love it. Absolutely know 
what the trajectory of it is. Okay. And then the last one is um, spend more time researching a trend's personality and trajectory than worrying about what your competitors are doing. After all, they may be idiots. <laughs> you don't well, want to follow them I can almost off a bridge. When the audience going, yes, they are. <laughs> they are right. You don't want to follow them off a cliff. Like, no, no. I mean, it's good to watch your competitors. Of course, that is smart. But you have no idea what their strategy is or why they're doing what they're doing. So, spend more time smartly researching what the trend is doing itself, and that's how you'll know how to navigate it for your own com- company. Awesome. So before I let you go, uh, I want to check with you to find one thing you'd most like to see fade out of trendiness on the QSR front, and then one thing you'd most like to see start appearing on the venues. Oh, so that one's such a hard one. Okay, so for sure fading out is um, absolutely the unicorn thing needs to just go away. Um, <laughs> just, just, it just needs to go away. Um, but I, you know what I would also honestly like to see fade out? It will never fade out, but I want it to fade out. I want, I want companies to stop jumping on diet trends or ways of eating that villainize entire food groups. Ah. That I'd love to see because – Again, so you know I'm a toxicologist, I'm a chef, and I'm a dietitian, right? So the dietitian <laughs> part of me wants to stop villainize entire food groups. So there's a lot of diet, keto, all the high-protein diets villainize carbs. So I, that, yeah. is, that is a wildly unhealthy way to eat long-term. Yeah. By excluding like either dairy or excluding all the grains or excluding beans, whatever the diets exclude. That I would love to see go away at some point. Freaking eat anything you want in moderation and get on the treadmill. Really, that's all you have to do, <laughs> pretty much. Right? Um, so that I would love to see go away. Um, you mentioned like the the little plant protein. Yeah. I don't mind plant proteins. One, but consumers have to know they are not a complete protein. Even soybean is not a complete protein. It has all the amino acids, but in the wrong amounts. So it is not a complete protein. Also, some of the plant protein things coming out are wildly processed. There are ridiculous amounts of processing that goes into them to make them appear something it's not. So what I would love to see coming more onto menus um, which it's here a little bit, but nobody's really, you know, bragging about them, is if you're going to have a veggie burger, have it so everything's identified, you know, have a lovely black bean and brown rice, whatever, you know, that's fabulous. It is its own thing. It doesn't bleed. You know, it's, <laughs> it, it, it knows what it is and it's proud of it. That's what I would like to see on these menus, right? And so some, some, of the QSRs won't, and some other fast casuals won't bring on some of these plant protein burgers because they're they're over processed and it doesn't fit that brand's mission, which I admire. I'm like, but they do have a lovely whatever it is, black bean or pinto bean or you know rice, and, but they're combining proteins in a helpful way, so it is a complete protein, um, and it's not trying to be something it's not because 90 percent, 92 percent, I believe of the people consuming these new plant burgers are are omnivores. They're meat eaters. No vegetarian is touching these things. 
Susie, thank you so much. You're always a delight and a literal font of food knowledge to have on the show. And to those listening, well, you guys and gals are one of a kind. So I'm hoping you got some ideas out of today's discussion and also that you have a great rest of the day planned. See all of you, I hope, next time.